Hello, this is Dean Hess, editor of Respiratory Care. Welcome to the October 2016 podcast. Our editor's choice paper relates to the use of shared canister for the delivery of meter dose inhalers during mechanical ventilation. Gowan and colleagues conducted a prospective trial of shared canister MDI therapy or single patient canister MDI therapy. They found that shared canister MDI therapy was associated with a significant cost savings. There were similar rates of ventilator-associated pneumonia, hospital mortality, and length of stay. However, there was a greater prevalence of ventilator-associated events. Nat et al. determined trends in use of extracorporeal membrane oxygenation for ARDS in the United States from 2008 to 2012. In 2008, about 1 in 1,000 patients with ARDS underwent ECMO. Over the subsequent four-year period, there was a 0.19% absolute increase and 70% relative increase in use of ECMO for ARDS. The mortality among patients with ARDS in whom ECMO was used declined from 78% to 64% in 2012. In their editorial, Ryder and Turner suggest that clinicians and investigators go beyond descriptions of how to use ECMO and push for thoughtful and detailed investigation into true optimization of decision-making to guide the when and why of this complex therapy. The effect of introducing high-flow nasal cannula on duration of respiratory support and length of stay was evaluated by Hoffman and colleagues. Introduction of high-flow nasal cannula was associated with a significantly longer duration of mid-level respiratory support, decreased oral feeding, increased retinopathy of prematurity, and greater use of intermediate care facilities. Todd and Heath point out that this is the third publication since 2015 to show increased morbidities in neonates who received high-flow nasal cannula. It is imperative to review the implementation and weaning protocols for high-flow nasal cannula in preterm neonates, especially those less than 28 weeks gestation. Modalities and complications associated with high-flow nasal cannula in a pediatric intensive care unit is reported by Bowden et al. High-flow nasal cannula was associated with a relatively low rate of complications. New pneumothorax requiring chest tube insertion occurred in 1%, chest tube-related air leaks were noted in 3%, and significant epistaxis was noted in 0.6%. The high-flow nasal cannula failure rate was 18%. Carabini et al. evaluated the clinical significance of two transport modalities, human courier and pneumatic tube system for blood gas specimens. They found that the difference in the PO2 and PCO2 of paired, walked versus tubed, arterial and venous blood gas specimens demonstrated a slight bias. However, the difference was not sufficient to impact clinical interpretations of blood gas values. The purpose of the study by Liu and colleagues was to determine the prevalence of diaphragmatic dysfunction diagnosed by B-mode ultrasound and to determine whether prolonged weaning with diaphragmatic dysfunction present increased duration of mechanical ventilation compared to those without diaphragmatic dysfunction. They found that diaphragmatic dysfunction was common in subjects with prolonged weaning and those with diaphragmatic dysfunction had longer time on mechanical ventilation and in the ICU. 
Labadisa et al. analyzed the intra- and intra-rater reliability of six-minute walk tests in subjects with COPD. The six-minute walk test showed excellent reliability for distance and perceived exertion in both intra- and inter-rater analysis. For cardiorespiratory variables, reliability was moderate to excellent for intra- and inter-rater analysis, except for oxygen saturation. The authors concluded that the six-minute walk test could be compared when conducted by two different evaluators. The study by Alfaroba and colleagues evaluated the effect of pulmonary rehabilitation on exercise capacity, symptoms, and health status by COPD category. They found that subjects in all COPD categories might improve exercise capacity, symptoms, and health status with pulmonary rehabilitation. Thus, COPD categories alone are not sufficient to discriminate which patients benefit. Bedard and McKim evaluated use of daytime mouthpiece ventilation in subjects with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. They found that mouthpiece ventilation provided effective ventilation and prolonged survival for individuals with ALS requiring full-time ventilatory support who had adequate bulbar function. Duchenne muscular dystrophy Respiratory care guidelines recommend scheduled respiratory assessments and use of respiratory assist devices. Andrews and colleagues assessed respiratory care received by individuals with Duchenne muscular dystrophy from 2000 to 2011. The frequency of respiratory assessments and assist device use among males with Duchenne muscular dystrophy was lower than recommended. The authors advised collaboration of respiratory therapists and pulmonologists with clinicians caring for individuals with Duchenne muscular dystrophy to ensure access to the full spectrum of inpatient and outpatient pulmonary interventions. Rose et al. conducted a national Canadian study to assess the use of cough augmentation techniques in critically ill patients. They found moderate adoption of cough augmentation techniques, particularly for secretion management. They suggest that lack of expertise and knowledge are potentially modifiable barriers addressed with educational intervention. They found moderate adoption of cough augmentation techniques, particularly for secretion management. They suggest that lack of expertise and knowledge are potentially modifiable barriers addressed with educational interventions. The objective of the study by Latinsky and colleagues was to evaluate the utility of induced sputum analysis of cellular and soluble materials in subjects with systemic sclerosis compared to healthy controls. They found that induced sputum showed changes in cellular pattern and correlation with several highly relevant clinical and pulmonary function parameters in subjects with systemic sclerosis. Interrater agreement of auscultation, palpable fremitus, and ventilator waveform sawtooth patterns between clinicians in mechanically ventilated subjects was evaluated by Barry et al. Interrater agreement for all assessments showed variability between lung regions, but maintained reasonable agreement in mechanically ventilated subjects. These assessments should not necessarily be viewed in isolation, but interpreted within the full context of a full clinical assessment. 
Forty and colleagues evaluated lung function, respiratory muscle strength, and thoracoabdominal mobility in women with fibromalacia syndrome. Subjects with fibromalacia syndrome had less respiratory muscle endurance, inspiratory muscle strength, and thoracic mobility than healthy subjects. In addition, inspiratory muscle strength was associated with the number of active tender points, fatigue, and axillary mobility. This month, we publish an invited review by Paternow et al. on right ventricular protective ventilation in ARDS. We published two papers from the 2015 New Horizons Symposium, one by Siebel on monitoring exhaled carbon dioxide, and the other by Walsh and Smallwood on electrical impedance tomography during mechanical ventilation. We also published abstracts from the 2016 Open Forum, which will be presented at the AARC Congress in San Antonio. I hope to see many of you there. To receive the contents of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.